Hello and welcome to Touching the Sunrise podcast. I am Sister Catherine Herms, author of Surviving Depression, A Catholic Approach, and Reclaim Regret, How God Heals Life's Disappointments, and Spiritual Guide in the Heartwork Program, which specializes in helping people walk the road of spiritual growth and inner healing. For the past 10 years, I have been walking alongside wonderful women and men who want a more heart-centered and spiritual life, but would like support along the way, through online programs, groups, and one-on-one spiritual guidance. I walk with people along a contemplative and healing path, one that has been trodden for thousands of years. Basically, I'm here to help you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, who has come to make your being the throne of the Holy Trinity, so that your life, your prayer, your relationships, your dreams and goals will most deeply satisfy the desires of your heart. You can find out more about me and what God has led me to do in the world by visiting my website, touchingthesunrise.com. Welcome back again to our presentations on our five learnings for midlife. I'm Sister Catherine James Herms. And I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir. Excellent, excellent. So our first learning was we have to get lost in order to find ourselves. And the second learning is going to be be attentive to pockets of possibility. So living at the edge of possibility, the edge of what's possible. And I'd like to open with a quote from an artist, a Belgian painter and writer, born 1939, Eric Pevernagy. And he says, when our thoughts are unsettled and our inner world is in a muddle, we may sharpen our wits and try to recognize the invisible edges of our fractured stance. If we seek to figure out what our life story is all about, we may be able to put the missing pieces in place and identify what is driving us, what we are actually up to, and why we are running like mad dogs sometimes. I love that image, I have to say. (laughs) It works for me. (laughs) So finding the missing pieces, putting them in place, and really identifying what is driving us. And in a, in a hasty world, I think driving is a perfect word. You know, what is driving us? What's keeping us from stopping in that liminal space, from being attentive to pockets of possibility? Right. I think at some point for all of us, we question the kind of life that we're leading right now. And And there's this little wondering that goes on whether it's actually the life that we really want to live or is there another dream? Is there another possibility? Sometimes it feels like um, you're sort of on this, on one of those automatic things like you see at airports where the, the belt just carries you forward and you feel like, okay, I'm on this track. I can't get off this track. And I think midlife is about figuring out that I can get off this track if I want to. Oh, that's a perfect image. Perfect image. Yeah. I'd like to add here a quote from Hubert Van Zeller. Hubert Van Zeller has always been a favorite author of mine. 
spiritual author since I was a teenager. And I located this older book in our library called The Inner Search. And in the second chapter, he talks about the hidden face of the self. And I love this paragraph that opens that chapter. There are few moments in life when it strikes us suddenly and with great force that we are not in the least the people whom we had thought ourselves to be. We say, I have been a stranger to myself all my life, and now at last I know who I am. Then, he says, the vision fades, and we do not know who we are. So he talks about the search of self being a long, drawn-out labor, and I think midlife is so much about that search for self. Not only search for who am I and, and what do I want out of life and what are my dreams, mm -hmm. but also um, the search for uh, what is God doing in my life? What does God want for me? What is God giving to me? So there are times I can remember that I was so sure I have my act together, so sure I was right, so sure I was good. But around 45, a retreat director told me that part of maturing is getting to the point of letting go of all these things that we've been so sure about, even of accepting all the things that we judge so surely that we wouldn't have anything to do with. I think that's so true, sister, that, that we all have this sense of, I know what's right, and I know what's good, and I know everything that's, that's good for me. And I think that one of the gifts of midlife is to say, uh, maybe you should look at that again. <laughs> I have to say that midlife, I think, is the best time to look at these moments we've experienced and interpret them again so that they can influence our lives now in a positive way. We've got more wisdom than we had in our 20s. We have more stability than we had in our 20s. And we're able now to sift through and find those pearls of knowledge and opportunity that God has offered us in the past and that he continues to offer us now. There's less noise in our lives. There's less pressure to do and produce and move quickly. We've learned by now what's important and what isn't. So we can take these pockets of possibility you're talking about and really examine them to see if they can guide us through this phase of our lives and into the next phase. And midlife really is about moving into that next phase of our lives and really leaning into the possibility. But to lean into the possibility, I think I have found it's really important to kind of have a framework or not a structure, but a, a structured way of kind of uh, loosely understanding mm -hmm. where my life has been, where it's going to be going, where am I in almost all of like, this. Almost like charting it, putting it on a chart, isn't it? To make putting it visual. It on a chart. And there, of course, are many people who chart. Right. Um, who've created these charts for us, Eric Erickson, uh, James Fowler, etc. Um, but I, I found the um, psychologist Daniel Levinson to be truly a very helpful uh, 
way of looking at this chart of of understanding where we are where we're going what's happening and i like it that he doesn't necessarily term it in a list of tasks that need to happen at certain ages of our life right but looks at what naturally begins to occur what we naturally begin to notice in our lives so he developed a comprehensive theory of adult development that is referred to as the seasons of life theory. And it identifies stages and growth that occur well into our adult years. One thing I really like about his stages or seasons of life theory is that he looks at um, three major times, decades uh, of our life the early adult years, the middle adult years, and the late adult years. And each stage, each section is about 20 years. And in those 20 years, four things happen consistently, and they take about five years to happen. So the first thing is we transition into that stage, out of a previous stage, and into this new stage. The next five years after the transition are called an entry life structure. Mm -hmm. And in that entry life structure, we're looking at, um, you know, what, what we're going to be in that structure as an early adult or a middle adult. What are our dreams? What are our goals? What are we after? Who are we? You know, what do we want? Um, but then after about five years, there comes another transition within that structure. And that's a time when we begin to modify uh, what we wanted, what we thought we were going to have, uh, our dreams. According to reality, we begin to maybe modify even our values mm -hmm. for that period of our life. And after that transition, we move into what is often called for him a culminating life structure for that stage. So we have five years where there is a culmination of who we are as an early adult or a middle adult, um, a late adult. And we begin to kind of put into place what has happened, occurred to us, the values that we've objectively taken on mm -hmm. in that midlife transition or that middle adult, mid middle transition of that stage. And then we kind of, um, settle down and live that. And then, of course, we enter into the transition into the next stage. Um, so there's always something going on. There's always something changing. So there's this cycle of dreaming, planning, working towards your dreams, and this entry life structure. There's a transition in the middle. It's an opportunity to reconsider a path to make peace with what is possible, to realign values. And then there's this settling in stage, a five-year period more or less of growing into the culminating life structure for that stage. So what does this look like? Um, I just looked at my life kind of along those stages just to give you um, uh, a way of thinking about them. I'm a perpetual profession as a daughter of St. Paul when I was 26. So what does that look like? I thought I'd go back and kind of 
chart out my life oh, good idea. <laughs> very loosely <laughs> um, so that we could have like a, uh, an inside view into kind of what this means, what this looks like. And me, perpetual profession is a daughter of St. Paul when I was 26. So, of course, at that point, as a sister, you're, you're free. <laughs> <laughs> you're out of mean? you're out of initial formation, you ah. know, postulacine, novitiate, junior rate. You're now a full fledged, lifelong, forever daughter of Saint Paul. So there's the freedom, there's the excitement, there's a building phase um, that happens. Around the age of thirty, though, I was in my first assignment away from the mother house after my perpetual profession. And amid the excitement of beginning a mission in earnest and developing my own gifts in that mission, some stability after the junior professed years, there was also new responsibilities, there were changes in expectations, there was personal struggles, failures, dashed dreams. For me, there was a diagnosis of temporal lobe epilepsy and more. So this transition in the middle of my young adult stage of life was the God-blessed opportunity to reconsider those early dreams, to choose new values, to modify my expectations so that in the last six or seven years of my 30s, I established myself more serenely in mission. I rooted myself more in an authentic identity and in a greater trust in God's love for me. In my early 40s then, I began a midlife transition, transition into those middle years. And I was also moved to a different office in our mission, the central office of our book centers across the country. So something happens often that precipitates the crisis, a transition right. and change. So I formulated my goals and choices in a very difficult situation as I entered my middle years. I was requested to start the digital department right after this difficult transition into middle adulthood. And I spent eight very happy years giving my all to this new mission, being at the mother house, teaching the novices, growing the values that would most authentically express my midlife, or so I thought. Last year, I feel like I was taken apart inch by inch between misunderstandings, difficulties in relationships, a concussion, family struggles, caring for aging parents. Phew, <laughs> that year has come to an end. <laughs> and I am blissfully moving into the culminating stage of middle adulthood with reconsidered values, new goals, a different path, and um, very happy. Very happy to <laughs> that be I am now that. in the culminating life structure <laughs> of my middle years. And I have a few years to go before we start transitioning again. <laughs> so let's take this apart a bit more. Okay. So midlife transition. When does this happen? More or less between ages 40 and 45. This time period is sometimes one of crisis. A person begins to evaluate his or her life. Values may change. Um, how society views you can also change. Um, some people make drastic life changes. Um, there's a career change, perhaps there's a divorce. At this time, people um, automatically begin to think about death. And they begin to think about how they're going to leave a legacy behind them. So this time period is the first stage of middle adulthood. 
It's a bridge between early adulthood, young adulthood, and those middle years. So what becomes more important? Self-examination, um, evaluating our life, where we've been, where we're gonna go. Um, reforming our life goals and aspirations. Many people have families, children are getting older now. They're beginning to look at what's gonna happen when they all get to college or children are married. Um, you know, realizing that we have unattainable dreams can also lead us into a moderate or even a severe crisis. So we come to grips sometimes with these conflicts which have existed within us since our adolescence, the conflicts between being young and being old, um, being destructive and being constructive, being attached to others and being separated from others. So there's been this polarity that's accompanied us since our teenage years and we need to make peace with that. And I think when my retreat director said, you know, you're going to have to go back and make friends with everything you rejected. That's what they meant. That's what yeah. she meant. Yeah. These polarities need to, we need to make peace with that and um, accept them as an integral part of our being, you know, the paradox of life. Mm -hmm. um, so we take stock of where we've been, the success of our past choices, whether or not we're going to reach our useful dreams, we form a new life structure, um, one that takes account of our new position in life and may involve new elements and a redefinition of who we are, what we're doing in our relationship with others. So by age 45, we've more or less negotiated that transition into our middle adult years and those middle adult years are going to last for 15 years or so in our life. So it's a major part of um, that time when we're, we're strongest in some ways. We don't maybe have as much energy as we had as young adults. We have a lot more experience. People are looking up to us. It's a period of generativity. It's a period of growth, of building a legacy, of watching um, the, either projects, um, family, children, um, people you've invested your life in, maybe as a teacher. You're watching the fruition of that grow before your eyes. And that can be very beautiful as you kind of solidify who you are. And the new values that really are, you feel are defining you as a person, mm -hmm. not you as a young adult, this is what I want to do in the world, right. but you as, as me, as this is who I am. In the midst of everything beautiful, wonderful, difficult, messy, and painful that's happened, right. I have come through all that, and this is who I am. Um, and this is who I am becoming in the midst mm -hmm. of that. But as we saw, even in, even in that time, God is working. And God, as he took me apart one year, the last year, <laughs> inch by inch, there still will be periods when God is saying, you think you know who you are, but you are so much more than who you think you are. Yes. And, but there are parts of you, of your attitudes, of uh, the ways you are, the, the judgments you have, whatever, that are holding you back. And the, the situations we find ourselves in, um, the difficulties, uh, 
misunderstandings. There are all these times when God kind of takes away those things that we thought were us and says, that's not you. You're deeper right. still. You're more beautiful still. And I love you. You're lovely. I love you. And, um, and so the middle adult years are more about not what can I accomplish, who can I become, but what is God making me mm-hmm. as he divests me of the me I think I am. Right. <laughs> so we wow. move then towards, um, towards the uh, late adulthood transition around 60. And in this stage, we begin to reflect on life. So we're looking back. We begin to reflect on our life. We begin to reflect on the decisions we've made. Um, Eric Erickson, around these later years, his project or his task is we need to make peace with life as we have lived, as we have lived it. So individuals begin to permanently settle down. They don't have as many responsibilities as they had before. They also begin to reflect on who they have become, and are they at peace with that? What opportunities did they miss? Um, regrets about, you know, having to move into a, for example, um, independent living and losing a house. Mm-hmm. You know, just last night we went on and looked on Zillow and discovered the house that was going to be built on the house that we left when we moved my parents into independent living. Mm-hmm. And um, and that must have been heartbreaking. Um, it's not as heartbreaking for me. It's like amazing. <laughs> it's a beautiful house. Um, ours is from the nineteen fifties, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it was a beautiful house then. Um, but I'm sure it's difficult for my dad to see that. Yes, you know, so his yes. dreams that he may have had of what he wanted to provide, mm-hmm. um, and he couldn't provide that. And now he's lost so many things, gained a community. But, um, you know, so there's all these interesting things that happen. I'm not at 60 (laughs) now, but um, they're in their 70s and 80s. Um, But we're beginning to, but even in their 60s, they were looking around because they knew they couldn't stay in a house with stairs Mm -hmm. uh, forever. Right. So we're beginning to look at the last stage of life, that last stage of, of life that leads to life eternal, we also physically and mentally begin to notice gradually a decline in, in many ways, illness, um, a mental decline. We may notice the higher frequency of friends and family members, colleagues at work who die or are experiencing illness. And all of this begins to remind us that our turn will come. We ourselves are the same age and are getting old. We fear maybe that our inner usefulness is disappearing and (laughs) there's only, um, you know, an old person, a tired person, exhausted person, a boring person compared to all the excitement (laughs) of young people around and all the wonderful, beautiful things that the midlife people around us are experiencing as they travel the world or whatever it may be that there's nothing left in us. Um, And they can receive, we can receive less recognition for our work. Um, We have less authority, less influence. Um, We're no longer dominant. We, in our middle years, rise to that place of 
not dominance isn't the right word, I think, but influence. Influence and authority, I think. Influence yeah. and authority and um, not authority like I'm in charge, but no. there's a personal authority that, that comes That people respect with. you, right. That people assume you yes. know what you're talking about, that sort of thing. Yes. And now you're kind of moved along. Um, I, I often say to, especially one older sister, I, I sit down next to her and I say, I'm so very sorry for all the crazy things I thought when I was young <laughs> and thought I knew everything and I was the answer to the whole world's problems and the congregation's needs and put myself out there. And now I realize uh, what it was like on the other side. And, you know, she's 20, 30 years ahead of me and I have no idea really what she's feeling mm -hmm. as I go around in my the height of my midlife, you know, for five years of joyful settling down and integration. Um, I don't know what she's feeling because she's in a different space, you know, and on the, she's worrying about how am I going to get from, you know, the chapel all the way over to my place of work on my, with my walker, you know, mm -hmm. are there places to sit down along the way? And, you know, it's a very different place um, that she's at. So, it's beautiful, I love with this, also to be much more aware of the reality of people around us, um, all these stages of life in which we live. So all of our life, we're made so that we lean into the possibilities in every stage. You know, We have the ability to catch that moment, that spark, that pocket, and really have it guide us forward. Yeah, and I listened to you talking about the different stages, and it, while I identify with them, um, it also just feels a little bit distanced, a little bit clinical, a little bit theoretical. But when you start talking about these pockets of possibility, I truly come alive to that. I am so all about those moments because they are the things that, um, that allow us to blossom and, and to unfold. Um, I think a single moment can really change a life, yeah. even if it's just seeing something in a painting or hearing a great work of music or a moment in, in church. We let go of our thinking selves and we allow ourselves to be open to something else and sometimes even to something divine. And I just wanted to share a couple of those moments of clarity and possibility that happened to me. One of them is not when in midlife, it's when I was younger. I was doing graduate work at Yale and I was in a very difficult class with a very difficult professor who was very hard on his students, particularly women. Um, throughout the semester, you'd see woman after woman dropping out of the class because it was just too stressful. I think he really didn't think women should be studying theology at all, but one day I stayed in the class and one day there was this heated discussion in the class and I participated for a while and I thought, oh, it's really not worth it. And so I stopped and the professor asked me why. And I said, I was just trying to be nice. And I will never forget this. He said, young lady, the world was not saved by someone being nice. The world was saved by someone dying on a cross. And that was such a pivotal moment for me. Suddenly, everything in my life, my studies, everything became crystal clear to do everything in the shadow of someone dying for me on the cross. 
And since then, I've, I've viewed the world through that lens. And just as a, as a sort of sub, sub note or footnote, um, incidentally, that professor, his name was Father Aidan Kavanaugh. He was um, from the Order of St. Benedict. And he became my mentor. And after that, I focused my studies on liturgical theology, which is what he taught, and studied under him for three absolutely difficult but wonderful years. So that, that is one moment that now, I mean, this was a long time ago, and still almost every day, I remember that moment, that, that turning point, that, that pocket of possibility that moved me in a different direction. Then my other... My other example is a more recent one that is indeed in my mid midlife. When I'm not working for the Daughters of St. Paul, I actually write mystery novels. And I don't plot them like most novelists. They all come out of a moment, a spark, something sudden and amazing. And I'll give you just one example. I was in Montreal doing research. And while I was doing it, I came across a list of names of people who were buried in a certain cemetery. And as I looked at it, I realized that everyone on that list was a child. And I was just shocked by this graveyard of children. And I wanted to learn more about it. And that was the spark for me. How had this happened? Why had this happened? And eventually I wrote a novel called Asylum, um, not just because the situation inspired me, but also because I wanted to give something back to all those children. So it's these moments, these sparks, these pockets, that if we respond to them, um, something great blossoms out of it. And I think we've all experienced something, some moment where God touched us and gave us a glimpse of something brilliant and beautiful. And I do want to quote Frederick, Frederick Buechner, um, who I read a lot. He's a Protestant theologian. And he wrote this wonderful thing. Religion start as Frost said poems do, with a lump in the throat, to put it mildly, or with a bush going up in flames, a rain of flowers, a dove coming down out of the sky. I have seen things, Aquinas told a friend, that make all my writing seem like straw. Most people have also seen such things. Through some moment of beauty or pain, some sudden turning in their lives, most of them have caught glimmers at least of what the saints are blinded by. Only then, unlike the saints, we tend to go on as though nothing had happened. We are all more mystics than we choose to let on, even to ourselves. Life is complicated enough as it is. And I love that quote because it just really does illustrate this moment where you've got this, this amazing, almost gateway or doorway into something bigger and unimaginable before that moment had happened. I think it's really telling he used burning bush, a bush going up in flames. Yes. Because I, I believe Moses would have been in his midlife when he encountered the burning bush. Right. And so he didn't really discover his real vocation. Until later. Who he, who he would become as the liberator under God of the chosen people leading them to the promised land. He had no idea what that was going to be in his young life. You know, he was the savior of somebody who was in a fight with the Egyptians, right. whatever. That's who he thought he was. He was going to be the, the savior in the political realm of the Egyptian people, and he was going to help his people maybe. But he did not know really who he was. 
right? And when he encountered that burning bush, and we all encounter them in these mid middle years, um, the burning bush that changes everything and helps us see who we are going to be. No one remembers Moses for having saved that one person that the, was in the fight or whatever was no. going on there. No, we no sort of star him. Moses was the person who saved the in the fight. <laughs> it's like we tend to go from Moses in the bulrushes as a baby to boom up to the burning bush, which is 40 or 50 years of his life in between. Right. And that's because the bulrushes and the bush was what God was accomplishing. Yes. And in those, those are those adult, moments. Yeah. Yeah. In those young adult years, those are important too. You know, if he hadn't like grown up in the, in the palace, if he hadn't learned all that he learned, if he hadn't struggled all he struggled, if he hadn't landed in the desert, run away, um, married, uh, met the, the, uh, the father-in-law, all those experiences he needed. Right. But who he became was marked by that burning bush. So as we leave, then we're looking at our stages, where we are in life, but it's the moments, it's the sudden turnings of life, the sudden turnings in our life that, that really determine uh, where we are going and how we're projected through life in those stages. They, they identify the, uh, the unfolding, how our vocation and our authentic identity unfolds uh, in mysterious ways that we wouldn't be able to plan or predict uh, in advance. So that's quite amazing. So as we leave then, that's, I think, a great invitation. Uh, what is that burning bush right now? What is that intervention of God in your life that maybe you haven't recognized or maybe you don't want to recognize you know Moses wasn't too happy about that idea of going back to Egypt not even a little bit and it's like, oh good my my authentic identity here we go he was like not a good idea let's get someone else you know? but what is that burning bush that turning that intimation that hint that perfume on the wind that call that's that moment that's possibly leading you into the next phase of, of life where you will discover more clearly, really, who you really are in the plan of God, um, in the love of God. Exactly. Good. So with that, um, I wish you well. God bless you. God and bless you all. Bye now. God has amazing ways of knocking on people's hearts, awakening desires, arousing questions, provoking an unexpected spiritual fire. Remember, if you'd like some extra support and are ready to embark on a sustained spiritual journey, you can connect with me in a number of ways by going to my website, touchingthesunrise.com. So until the next time, take care of yourself. And remember that you are not alone. You are loved no matter what. And when you search within yourself, you will not only find yourself, but the throne of the Divine Trinity. You have a calling, a mission, and every gift, every grace, every moment, 
Even every fall, mistake, and sin is a step toward your completely and wholly being taken up into the mystery of God's love for you and for all creation. Remember always that you have a treasure of inexpressible joy hidden in an earthen vessel, small and fragile. May this overflowing joy fill you and yours with this fragrance. God be with you.